powerful. Feel free to grab a seat. But um, good worship, right? Opportunity to enter into the presence of a God who who loves us incredibly. Not not like we're never out of His presence. It's not like you know we have to step in and try and find Him. He's always there. We're always in His presence. And yet sometimes there are moments where that's just more palpable. True. True? we got some uh, worship folders coming down front. Again, if you are uh, brand new to North Point, we would absolutely love if you would fill uh, that out. Just get your name down on there and let us know that you were here with us this morning. I promise we're not going to uh, sign you up for anything weird. We're not going to like you know, sh- show up at your door and, and do anything strange. Uh, we'll probably mail you a letter just telling you thanks for being here. And that's, that's kind of uh, the, the extent of our uh, weirdness and attacking you, I think. Um, but we would love for you to mention that you were here with us this morning, especially if this is your first time. If this is your 700th time with us, you've been with us for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we would absolutely love if you would put your name down there. That way we know that you were here with us this morning. That just helps us know kind of who's around and what's happening and those kinds of things. So that'll pass down the row and you can be sure just to put your name on that. And our ushers will be coming back down with our, our offering this morning. Um, opportunity just for you to maybe uh, serve God in a unique way as you, as you let go of just a little bit of all the blessings that God has, has certainly given, given to you. You'll notice this morning that we have a little different uh, schedule. There is no kids' world through student life. That's kindergarten through 12th grade just for this morning. We knew Fourth of July weekend uh, would, would splinter folks, and some of our volunteers are away, and so we just thought it would be a good opportunity to worship together as, um, as a family. Uh, there was some thought about if I'm up here, maybe there's some entertainment value. I don't know. Maybe kids will be with me too, so we'll find out, right? We'll decide if we're together on this or not. It will be awesome. There's a moment for you guys later. Do not volunteer. I'm just, this because I love you guys, okay? Don't, okay. Anyways, um, so there we go. That'll be uh, Startup Normal next week. Regular programming all back on next Sunday. So we'll be good to go then. Sound fair? We started a series like five-something weeks ago called Life Locked, the idea of identity theft or preventing uh, identity theft. And uh, we started this series probably in the best place to start anything, the book of Genesis, Genesis, uh, you know the story, right? In chapter 1, you've heard this story. You've heard this event. In the very, very beginning, God, what? What did he do? He created. What did he create? Right, that's right. Whatever you said, that's right. (laughs) He created everything, right? He created everything. There was nothing, and God said, I'm going to create. And he did. He created light and dark and stars and moon and sun and sky and water and land. And then he created bushes and trees and the, 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 the plants and flowers and stuff. And he said, this is really cool. And then God said, now I'm going to create animals. And he did. He spoke them into being, and there they were. He said things like giraffe, right? And there it was. And, and then he said, rhinoceros. And that was really cool, right? This thing with a horn. And, and, then, and then God said things like a hippopotamus, right? And, he, and God created these animals, chipmunks, right? And, and, and it was good, really good. God was like, this is awesome. Creation is awesome. Check my creation. It's awesome. It was very good. Matter of fact, at the end of each day of creation, he says the words, it's good. This is good stuff. Some time goes on and, and God says, okay, best is coming. Ready? He says, best is coming. My best creation yet, I'm going to make a man. He does, but he doesn't do it like he did the rest of creation. He doesn't speak man into being. He literally gets down on his knees as, as if God were physical and had knees. He, he got down and he, he put some dirt together. And he, and he made this man out of it. Bloop, right? And he <sighs> blew life into the man. 
and, and it, the, the scripture says he breathed the breath of life into the man, and the man became alive, and he popped up, and they had this conversation, and God said, hey, you're a man, okay, and your name is going to be Adam, and I'm your God, and we're going to have this relationship, and this is how it's going to go, and I want you to look around, look around. I made all of this for you. I want you to enjoy it and run through it and chase it and, and, and own it and subdue it and pick things and ride things and climb things. I want you to just love this place. And Adam said, okay, I'm going to do that. And he described to Adam, he began to tell him about himself. He said, Adam, you're a man, your name is Adam, and you're going you're gonna to function like this, and you're going to be like this. And, and, and this thing that you're doing with your lungs, it's called breathing. This is how it works in my head. I think this is what God did with Adam. And, and, and that thing that's happening right now, because you've been running around chasing the rhinoceros, is called sweating, and it's part of the process that I created in you. This is a cool thing, Adam. The stuff that's going on, I made you that way. And you're asking me these questions because you're thinking and, and you're, you're, you're a, a sentient being, you're a thinking being, you have will, and, and it's just, just very cool. And we're going to have this relationship. And every day I'm going to come down and I'm going to talk with you. We're going to walk around this thing that I made. We're going to talk. I'm going to tell you more about yourself and, and more about these animals and, 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 and more about this creation. We're going we're to have this relationship. This is the identity that I've created for you. Are you, are you excited? Adam says, I'm excited. This is awesome. And they do. And some time goes on and God comes to Adam one day and says, hey, I have another job for you today, a special job, a unique job. I want you to name the animals. Adam says, okay, I'll do it. So Adam, I don't know how it worked, sat down on a rock and all the animals started going in front of him and whatever he called them, that's what they were named. Giraffe. <laughs> rhino, I got rhino on the brain. Rhino right? Bear. Whatever, whatever Adam called them, that's what they were named. And all these animals passed by him and he names every single one of them. And it had to have been just a crazy, cool moment. As these animals walk in front and Adam names them. And however long that took, I don't know, some hours, some, I don't know how long that took. However long that took, the animals are done and Adam is sitting there. I think God's saying, how are you feeling about this? Adam goes, good, that was really cool. You like, you made some crazy awesome animals. And I'm absolutely, I love them. They're just the coolest things on the planet. But, God goes, what? what? None of them are like me. They're all just, they're very cool. I love them so much and I want to ride them and chase them and pet them and stuff. But none of them are really like me. They're all just a little different. And I'm not lonely, God, because I got you and I couldn't, oh, this is so great. But none of them are like me. God goes, I know that was the point in you naming the animals. So you'd know that there's none really like you. Matter of fact, I've got the best part of creation coming next, but you've got to go to sleep. God puts Adam to sleep, and the Bible says he literally took a chunk from his side, and from that chunk created a woman. He woke Adam up, and Adam woke up, and he said, Adam, this is woman, and she's created to be like you. And he goes, I can see that. And she's created to complete you. He goes, I can see that. And she's created to be your partner in life. And together, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this creation. Look around. He says, look around. You guys together are going to enjoy this creation. And you're going to run and climb those trees and pick those berries and pet those animals and do all those things. And Adam, you're perfect for her. And, and woman, you're perfect for Adam. Best of all creation. They go, this is awesome. This is great. And I've shaped you, woman, to be the way that you are and I've created in you an identity and you're going to be perfect for this guy and your identities are the way that I've said they're going to be and it's beautiful, right? And they said, yes. God says, there's one thing. That tree right there, 
don't, don't eat from that tree right there. That's the, only, that's the only thing. That's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not part of who you are. That's not part of your identity. Don't eat from that tree, okay? And they go, of course, there's a billion other trees that we're going to eat from. We don't, that's awesome. And every day they walked together and they talked together and they created this life for each other. And God, I think, every day began to describe to them more and more their identities and who they were and what they were about and how their bodies worked and all these kinds of things. It's just cool. And then one day comes, and you kind of know where the story goes. One day comes, and Adam and Eve are cruising through the garden, and, they, and they're, they're walking around, and apparently a, a snake comes out of a tree or something and begins to speak with them. And we know that that, that serpent is really the devil. And, and he says to him, he goes, Hey, ask you a question. God really say that you can't eat from that tree, that tree over there? And they go, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, God said, don't, I can't eat from it. Don't touch it. That's what he said. It's not, it's not who we are. It's not for us. The devil goes, no, well, that's not really what he meant. See, the problem with God is that he's afraid that if you eat from it, you'll become like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He's a little insecure, so here's the deal. Your identity really isn't full and complete unless you eat from that. Because, see, that, that's, that's really, that tree will make you happier, healthier, wiser, wealthier, smarter, if you, just, if you had that as part of who you were. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure God said no. No, he didn't, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean that. So they eat, right? They eat. As soon as they eat, in that moment, for the very first time ever in all of history, somebody felt guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. They felt it. Oh my gosh. Who are we? We're wrong. We're broken. We're messed up. What's going on with us? Oh, it's so gross and wrong. And we're naked. So they do the thing that anybody does when they feel guilt and shame. They try to hide it, right? Cover up. So they make some leaves and they try to hide themselves and they hear God come as he was apt to do every day, maybe in the cool of the day to walk with them and talk with them and be with them. He's coming into the garden and so they go and they run and they hide behind a bush. And they're in that bush. And God comes down and he, he says, where are you? Not like he didn't know where they were, but he's giving them an opportunity to, to come clean, to step up. And, but they're guilt-ridden and they're shame-filled and they're hiding in a bush. And they're small and ineffective. And they're afraid. God says, where are you? So eventually Adam, I guess, the brave one, I don't know, Adam stands up, Eve stands up with him. They go, well, here we are. Here we are. But, but God, we're, we, were really, we were really embarrassed. We're shamed. So we hid. We're shamed because we were naked. We were shamed. We we're so guilty. God looks him in the eyeball and he says, Who told you that? Who put that identity on you? I didn't tell you that. Who told you that you were shamed, guilt, naked, should be hiding? You weren't all that I created you to be. Yesterday, we were walking through the garden and we were, we were loving it. And today, someone or something has, has lied to you and changed your identity. Who told you that this is who you are? So we started with that five weeks ago, right? And, and we said that really only 
Christ, only God, through Christ Jesus, has the power to tell us who we are, to define our identity because he created us and he, and he made us and he knows us and he knows the plans he has for us. And so he has the right to tell us who we are. He has the right to shape and lay an identity on us. And, and really, we find that identity in the Bible. And we said, and maybe you would disagree with this, but we said maybe the best book to go to to get a sense of who my identity is in Christ is the book of Romans. And maybe you disagree with that and there's another book and that's better. That's okay, we could disagree, but it's not a big thing because Romans really sets up this identity that we have in Christ. And so four weeks ago, we started by talking about the reality that we are not objects of wrath. Guys, God doesn't hate us. If we have a relationship with Christ, inside a relationship with Christ, God is for me, not against me. That's a huge thing. Like we should be, we just stop right there and pray and be done and go home again. Right? That's huge that God is for me, not against me. He doesn't hate me. He's looking out for me. In a relationship with Jesus, I'm not an object of God's wrath. And three weeks ago we said, if that wasn't good enough, we said that we are justified. In a relationship with Christ, I am justified. In other words, I don't pay the penalty for my sin. It is as if I never sinned. Because Jesus has justified me in his death burial, resurrection. He justified me. He paid the penalty for my sins so I don't have to. When, when, when God looks at me, it's not like God looks right at me. I mean, he looks at me, but he, he like sees this lens of Jesus. And when he looks at me like that, he says, yeah, Chris is justified. He doesn't pay the penalty for his sin. It's like those sins, they're not held against him. That's an awesome thing. We could stop right there and pray and go home, right? So, so Jesus justifies us, but then, and that would have been good enough, but he says, no, it's not good enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour righteousness into your account. So not only am I not held responsible for my sins, I don't pay the penalty for my sin, and I have like this blank, empty account, Jesus pours his righteousness into my account. So when God looks at me, not only does he not see my sin, but he sees all of Jesus' righteousness, and so he looks at me and he says, Chris is righteous. Not because Chris is... <laughs> righteous, but because Jesus was righteous. Are you with me? Is this awesome? And in this relationship with Jesus Christ, this is your identity in him. And then last week, we talked about the reality. Pastor John said, you know, there are some proofs to knowing that we have our identity in Christ. He talked about the ideas of peace and grace and new life. These are all pieces, pictures, proofs that our identity is in Christ. And so we come this morning to Romans chapter 6 and we're asking, we've been, we've been talking, I should say, we've been talking about this, how great this reality is. That Jesus, uh, it, 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 we're not an object of his wrath. He's justified us. We don't have to pay the penalty of our sin. He's pour, poured righteousness into my account. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. And yet God is so amazing, so awesome. He has done these things for me. And so it begs the question, because Jesus justified me, because Jesus gave me righteousness, because I'm not an object of his wrath because of what he did, then sin doesn't matter, right? Like, you sin, no big deal, right? Matter of fact, if God gets all this glory out of justifying a guy like me, wouldn't it be better if I just, like, sinned all the more? Wouldn't his glory be more? Now, some of you guys are mouthing no at me. Some of you guys are thinking, we let this guy up front? What in the world are we doing around here? We don't pay him, do we? But this seems to be kind of a natural question. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I, I, it seems a natural, logical question to me. 
uh, the guy who wrote uh, Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit named Paul. Paul seems to be a natural question, logical question that he's asking after laying out how awesome Jesus has been, how awesome he is, all the things that he's done. Because of my sin, because of his righteousness, sin doesn't matter, right? It's not a big deal. This is how Paul answers that in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Another version says, may it never be. Heck no. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? May, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like, like some of us have been involved in church for maybe a while. We knew the answer to this question already. Right? Like, we knew that was coming. But see, for, for Paul and his listeners, it's like, it's like, how could you even think like that? That's insanity. Like, to think that sin is not a big deal. You sinning daily is not a big deal because of all the crisis. That it's a, we, should, we should not be continuing in sin. Paul says, no way. And he goes on to unpack these different pictures. Look at verse 3. This is where we're going to spend most of our time is unpacking these pictures. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, that old sinful self, was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So Paul employs this analogy. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back in a minute. But Paul employs this analogy of death. And he uses the picture of baptism. And I've been part of different churches that baptized different way. When I was a kid, I was baptized in a Lutheran church. Wonderful. No, no problems with that. But I was sprinkled. It was how they did it. They sprinkled a little water on your head. No problem. That, that's okay. But, but it kind of misses the picture a bit. Then as I got older, I was involved in other churches. And, and like North Point, we do baptism by immersion here, right? We put you under the water and pull you back up. I think that that's a picture, a better picture. And Paul employs that picture that when we're baptized with Christ, it's like we die, when we enter into this relationship with Jesus and baptism, it's just a picture of that. It's like we die. And then we're raised again into this new life. Now here's where baptism, water baptism by immersion, misses the picture a little bit. And I'd love to figure out how to do this. Someone who's smarter than maybe, maybe we'll figure this out. But I can't figure out how to do it and not get arrested. But, but, but it would be cool if somehow when we baptize people in water, we could put them down and like some of them stayed there. <laughs> And the rest of them came up. That, that, I'm going to get in trouble, right? And, and the rest, because that's the best picture because Paul says your, your old sinful life, that who you were before you knew Jesus, that died and stayed there. It stayed dead. And you're, and you're risen to this new life with Christ. That old you, that one that was chock full of sin, that one that was, that was, that was just against Jesus. The identity was different. It, it, it died and it stayed there. Paul says, that's, that's how you were. That's how you were. Matter of fact, uh, Paul writes another book called Colossians. We'll put some verses on the screen, but it's Colossians chapter 3. He, he, he unpacks this idea a little mo- bit more because to the church in Colossae, they needed to understand this a little deeper. And this is how he says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, then if you've been raised with Christ, again, that picture of death, 
and the resurrection. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, uh, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This, this picture that this, this old you is dead, this old sinful you is dead. And because we know something better now, we have this relationship with Jesus, it's like we can pick our heads up and look around. We know that there's better stuff out there. We're not, we're not just concentrating on the normal, boring, mundane things of life, but we're actually, we know there's something better. That old, that old thing is dead. We know there's something better. I moved to Michigan three years ago. And in California, where we lived before, we had this TV. It was one of those, uh, it has the tube in it, you know what I'm talking about? They, they weigh like a thousand pounds and they're like the size of a small car. You know what I mean? We had a TV like that, the big tube. And we left it, uh, it was just regular TV. We left it in California because it was too big to move. We didn't want to move it. It was only like, but it was still too big to move. And so we moved here and uh, we had saved up some money. I said, hey, I'm going to buy just a small flat screen HD TV because, you know, it's smaller and blah, blah, blah. And so we got here and I bought that TV and we, we put it in, we plugged it in, hooked up the cable. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize blue was so blue. The colors are tremendous, right? I was, I was blown away at how sharp it's so sad that I say that, right? I was blown away at how sharp these images were. Like, I thought I had it good when I was watching this old TV that was kind of sketchy and it was huge and it was just standard. Whatever. And then all of a sudden, I was like awakened to this new, oh my gosh, that's what socks look like. <laughs> that's amazing, right? It's the picture. It's like, it's like your, your old died and this new life that we live in Christ, pick your head up, look around, there's so much better things to think about and concentrate and focus on. And Paul goes on in, in Colossians and he says this. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on to describe a bunch of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. That was your old you. It was the old you. Those things all made up the old you. We've got to put those to death. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You've put off this old self and you've got this new Self. Matter of fact, the message version of the Bible absolutely love the way that uh, Eugene Peterson puts it as he translates it. This is what he says about that verse. He says, uh, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. Could you imagine if, uh, if uh, this morning I was up here and I had on these clothes, but, but like on the way here I had blown a tire and then I fell in a lake and then I got run over by a semi and then I got lit on fire. And I just had these really, really filthy clothes on. They're filthy and I'm standing up here, but I'm just you know, doing my thing and you're like, does that guy know that he smells horrible? I mean, what's going on? They're just filthy, filthy clothes. And not only are they filthy, but they're, they're ill-fitting. They don't fit. They're not appropriate. And then I'll just let you decide which way you want to go with that. Either too small or too big. You decide. But they just don't fit right and they're filthy and I'm wearing them. That would be insane, right? So Paul says, he says in the message version, it's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. 
because they're so not good. They're so worthless. You don't even try and wash them. You just, you've thrown them into this fire. Could you imagine how insane it would be after 10 minutes in the fire? I go, I love those pants. And you put them back out and you, you pick them back up and you try to get them on. There's like 10 strands of string left. That's all there is to them. But you're, you're putting them on and, you know, you're holding the string. And that would be ridiculous, right? Paul says, that's your old you. Before you knew Jesus, the one that was just full of sin, it's, it's dead. It's like a, a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you just threw into the fire because it was so worthless. And he finishes that thought. He says, uh, you've stripped it off and put it in the fire. And now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. This old you, this one that was full of sin, is dead. And instead you're wearing whole different you. A whole different you. Back to Romans 6. Paul continues on. He goes on with a different, a different picture starting in verse uh, 11. He talks about this idea of dead. Like this old you is dead. And he comes up with another picture. In verse 11 he says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We just talked about that. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Paul's, Paul's tying this thing to the law, to sin. It's this whole picture of why sin is so bad. But he comes to that question again. Is sin no big deal? He says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching for which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The picture here is one of slavery. Before you knew Jesus, before you entered into this relationship with Jesus, you were a slave to sin. You were a slave. It was your master. You had no option. You sinned because you sinned. It was your master. You sinned. You just sinned. Sin was part of it. You sinned. Are you with me? You sinned. But then, one day, you entered into this relationship with Jesus, and all of a sudden, you're no longer a slave to sin. Now you have a choice. I'm going to choose to sin, or I'm going to choose to not sin. That is your identity, Christ follower. In Christ, you have a choice to sin or to not sin. Paul says, you have this this new life that's going on. You can choose, I guess, to go back to that fire, that dead old you, and pick it up and take that rotting, stinking corpse and somehow try to staple it into your body. That would be gross because that's dead. It's gone. It's old. It's destroyed. It's over there. Instead, you're this in Christ. You're not a slave to sin, but rather you have the choice to sin or to not sin. Here's the, the image that was in my head. I, does anybody here like to eat meat? Like you're a meat eater. Will you raise your hand if you're a meat eater? We can just look around at the vegans in the room and point at them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I love you if you're vegan. You like to eat meat? I, I need two volunteers that like to eat meat, um, and you have to uh, like to eat meat, um, I, I'm, I'm totally willing to use your children as volunteers, but you should know me better than that. So, 
Now, they say that second hour is the more uh, engaged service, and first hour is the less engaged service, but I'll tell you, I had two adults in the first hour that were willing to go. All right, Mr. Bowles, come on up here if you want to do that. And then, uh, serious? Come on up here. All right. Adults, you're lucky. This is why we have kids as part of the service, right? Maybe. Okay. So grab a seat. <laughs> um, tell, tell me your names. Jackson, I know Jackson and? Jason. I know Jason. All right. Jackson and Jason. I just, I know who you guys are. Okay. So here's the deal. You like to eat meat, right? Barbecue. Brisket. Right off the barbecue. Yeah. Just that crusty outside, super tender inside. You cut into it, it's super juicy. It's awesome, right? He says, stop it. He's getting hungry. He's looking at his dad now. Dad, are we going to have that later? It's, it's awesome. And, and maybe, maybe it's roast beef right out of a crock pot that's been cooking for like six hours. And you try to get it out with a fork and it just falls apart. And so finally you, you just use your hands and you put it on a plate. And then you've got to put some gravy on it because everything's better with gravy, I hear, right? Beef and gravy. You like beef? Jackson, Jackson how do you feel about turkey? Thanksgiving, man. Thanksgiving, right? Turkey, six hours, just been cooking in the oven. You've been smelling it for like four and a half hours and you're just like, you're almost insane because you know how good it's going to taste. So finally it's time and, and whoever carves the turkey in your house, carves this turkey, it's just juices coming out. It's delicious, right? All over, oh. And so you get that fork and you put it on your plate. It's so tender. And, and, and mom says, you want some gravy on that? And you go, oh, yeah, right? She just pours gravy. Turkey and gravy. Love it? You love it? Who doesn't? So in my bag here, I have... Beef, beef with gravy, same, it's what we just talked about. And I have turkey with gravy, it's what I just talked about, right? Beef with gravy and turkey with gravy, it's delicious, right? There's a trash can behind you just in case you need it. Um, delicious, it's wonderful, right? We love beef. Now, yeah, crack that, crack that open, crack that open. Take a little sniff, it smells delicious, it smells just like beef. Mm-hmm. We don't care. We don't even care. You've got to be six months old or older to eat it, so it's delicious. Can you get that top off? Jackie, you got it. <laughs> Can I help you with that? Tell me help you with the turkey top. All right, take a good smell. Take a whiff of that. It's delicious. No, it doesn't smell like cat food. It smells like turkey and like beef. It doesn't smell like cat food and feet. It smells deli- It stinks up here so much right now. Um, it smells delicious, right? Just feel like, go ahead, guys. Take a bite. It's beef and gravy. It's Turkey and gravy. Now hold on, don't take a. We why are we why are we saying oh we fed this to our children right? <laughs> Am I the only one? We fed this to our babies right, and our babies loved it. Matter of fact, my oldest Rebecca, she's 16 now. When she was a baby, she was in a squash phase. So we fed her a bunch of squash. We learned that if you eat too much squash, your skin will take on that orange color. Some of you know this. Oh, we didn't know. We rushed her to the ER. We were freaked out. We thought she had like jaundice or something. And no, she was just in this. This isn't squash. Squash is gross. This is turkey and gravy. This is beef and gravy. Okay, I know you guys want to take a bite. You've been salivating over this. Just, no, don't plug your nose. Taste it. It's delicious. It's, why are you making those? What's that mean? I don't know. Is it so good? You're like, it's so do- Feel free to eat as much as you want. You don't have to be kind here. It's all yours. Why are you choking? Eat as much as you want. This is all yours. This isn't for you. You don't have to share. You don't have to share with anybody else. You also don't have to finish it. If you're done, feel free to trash it. Give these guys a big hand, would you? Yeah, sure. He, can. he says, Jackson says, can I keep this? I go, sure, yeah. 
All right, so here's the picture. Christ followers. Christ followers. We know better. We have an option. Like, like, like you would, as an adult, never go back to eating that stuff for real. You would never go back to that. You've tasted beef. <laughs> you would never eat that junk out of a jar. You just wouldn't do it. It's insanity. Imagine going to the grocery store and that's your groceries. You're just picking jars off. The, okay, this is my meals for the week. It's insanity. Like you would never even think about doing it. That picture is in your head. Matter of fact, if you did do it, the reaction should be just as those guys. Like, it's gross. Christ followers, we have a choice to sin or to not sin. We can choose to go back to this, this nasty baby food. We can go back to that, that, that when we were a baby, we ate it. We liked it. We didn't know any better. But Christ followers, we know better now. You're not a slave to sin. Sin is dead. It's in the ground. It's in the hole. Imagine, imagine getting there and trying to, to bring that back to life and wearing it again like a, like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. Am I making some sense here? Christ followers, we have a choice to sin or to not sin. Babies didn't have an option. They just had to eat the food you put in their mouth and they enjoyed it because they didn't know any better. And Once they know better, they go, I'm not eating that junk again. We're not doing that. We're not going back to that. And so Paul continues on with this idea in Romans chapter 7. If you're there, I want you to see this because Paul uses another picture that he wants to see, wants us to see. And I think it makes some sense. It certainly made sense to his original hearers. It makes some sense to us. In verse 22, uh, I lied, verse 2, just verse 2, uh, chapter 7, he says this. He's going to use the picture of marriage. He says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, then she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law of the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. This picture of marriage, and I don't want to go too far with this, but a husband and wife when they're married, they're, they're, they're bound to each other. They're stuck, stuck with each other. They're stuck they're together and whatever. And, and, and the picture being that, that that's the connection. But then if he dies, he dies and gets buried in the ground, then she's free to, to marry someone else. She's free to unite with another. And the picture there is the other is Jesus. So sin and that, that master is dead. And so you, she has this freedom to unite with Jesus. Can you imagine how bizarre it would be if she, the woman, gets out the shovel and goes to the graveyard and starts digging up that grave and drags the body out, I guess by the feet first, drags the body out and props him up in her car and starts driving around with him and then, and then takes him home and puts him at the dinner table and then at bed at night tucks him into bed and climbs in next to him. And That would be weird, right? We'd say, how, how strange is that? And Paul employs this picture to say, Christ followers, how strange it is when your old life of sin has been done away with and dead for us to keep going back to it. Keep going back to it. Because your identity, Christ follower, is that I'm free to choose to sin or to not sin. Free to choose to sin or to not sin. Here's a reality check. Because somebody out there right now is thinking this thought. Because I'm thinking it. And maybe many of you are thinking it. You're thinking... That's very pastor-like, Chris, to say that. I don't have to sin. I get to choose to sin. I don't have to sin. But you don't know me. You don't understand. You don't get it. Because there's this thing that I've been dealing with for 22 years. And I cannot 
shake it. I can't end it. There's a sin that I cannot get rid of. I've tried everything. I've gone to church. I've tithed. I've read the books. I've said no. I've gone to the pro. I've done everything. I cannot shake it. You have no idea what you're talking about, Chris. You're full of it. Reality check. Because many of us feel this way. We say, that's the thing, I can't, I can't end that. And maybe you're right, maybe I don't understand you, maybe I don't know you, but Paul, interestingly enough, he seems to get it because this is what he says in verse 15. He says, I would add the words, reality check. Chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that's good, so now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is least in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability, it seems, to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is right there, and I keep doing it. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who work, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members in another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul gets himself worked up. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing and I can't figure it out. It's so frustrating. Help me! Help me! What am I supposed... I'm so... I can't shake that thing. It's so frustrating. What's the answer? Paul goes on to answer it in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is Jesus Christ. The more I get to know him, Jesus, the more I believe the identity that he says that I am, the more I trust that he knows me more than I know me, the more I recognize that when the world or culture or my family or my friends or the devil says, eat from that tree, because that'll round out who you are. Jesus says, don't do that. The more I believe Jesus, and the less that I believe every other person or culture or thing that wants to shape my identity, the more I live this life that Christ has for me. You say, but man, I've been, I've been working on this forever. I hear you. I hear you. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. The more I root my identity in him, the more I get to know him, the more I live a life for him, the more I am captured by who he says that I am, the more that I am free, the more that I am living the identity that Christ has for me. Does that mean that I, I'm going to get to a point where I just don't sin anymore? <laughs> no. No, probably not. I'm just talking about me, by the way. I'm not talking about any of you. Just me. Because I'm stupid. I'm like that little girl in the video. She was adorable, by the way, at the very end. I'm like, I'm dumb. That's, you're not. You're precious. She's precious, right? But I am dumb. I am dumb. I choose that way too often. I go back to that. The imagery that was in my head this morning is a verse in uh, 2 Peter 2.22, and he quotes Proverbs 26, where he says, like a dog returns to its throw-up. That's gross, right? That's me every time I go back. And pick up that, that old who I was, that old before Jesus, that old sinful me. I pick that back up and live it again. How dumb I am at times. Does it mean I'm going to get to a point where I just don't sin anymore? Not in this life. Not before I go to heaven. But you know what? If nothing else, I need to recognize every time I sin as a Christ follower, every time you sin 
as a Christ follower. It's a choice. So very often Satan loves when we live this guilt-shame cycle. Oh, I just don't have a choice. I'm so stuck in this sin. I'm so rooted in this sin. I've tried everything and I just can't seem to figure it out and there's nothing that I can do about it and I just need to stay hidden behind the bush. Satan loves that. He doesn't need you worshiping him. He doesn't want you to go out and buy the satanic Bible and do rituals. He just wants you to buy an identity that's not true of you. Christ followers, Jesus says clearly, you are not a slave to sin. The old sinful me is dead and put away and I've got to continue to keep killing that thing because it wants to come back. I want to pick it up because I'm dumb sometimes. The other picture that was in my head and maybe this will connect. We'll finish with a video that I think will say this better than I will. But this picture sometimes is like we were created to be a bird. But we feel like we're a bird in a cage. Even though there is really no cage. But we feel like that. Like we know we have wings to fly and we can take off. But we don't. It's like, well, we're stuck. I'm like Christ Father, but I'm stuck in this life of sin. I'm just stuck in it. I just got to stay in it. And we choose to believe an identity that's not true of us as opposed to believing an identity that Jesus laid on us. So there's these guys, they're called the skit guys. They, they do some pretty powerful videos. And I just want to end it with a video that talks about this and sets it up well, and then we'll finish with a song in response. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? I'm in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I don't play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to put a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like, going, caw, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle up to the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I send them my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. I'll tell you what. I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah. Let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. Well, no good for nothing. They can't do any tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. Five dollars. All right. Ten dollars. Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got. looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So what's your plans with them? We'll play games with them. Games? What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure. 
I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for eternity. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So, I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He picked up that wooden cross and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me.